Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Hoboken Grace Podcast. We hope today's message inspires you on your walk with God and supports you in a weekly rhythm of connecting with Him. We want to help you in that, so every message from every week is available live and on demand on our app or at HobokenGrace.com. Thank you for choosing to spend time with us, and we'll see you next week. Well, again, good afternoon and welcome. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at Hoboken Grace. And as I said earlier, there's so many different things that we have to celebrate. One of the things that I'm still celebrating was last week. I don't know if you were here for the concert, but it was phenomenal with the kids. And I've just been celebrating the kids' team as well all, all week long. I mean, what an incredible job they did. Would you guys celebrate them with, with me one more time? <clears throat> It's just gotten better and better and better and better. And they're, they're, they've gotten better and better. And, and also, just with that, I just want to remind you, we are expanding Grace Kids to three services beginning in January. Our service times are going to be changing. And we will have Grace Kids at all three services beginning in January. And I, I asked you last week, if you're not currently serving on the team, I'm telling you, there's almost nowhere where you're going to be able to make the impact that you're able to make when you invest in those little ones. If you have questions about how you can be part of Grace Kids team, there's a table downstairs just outside of Theater 3 or Theater 2 uh, where you can get those questions answered. But then in addition to that, we had the Christmas exchange as we moved through this past week, over 1,200 kids, as I said. The other thing that was, that's amazing is I think we had over 315 volunteers that served this past weekend. Isn't that incredible? And just. One of the things I love about that, too, is that it's not primarily, it, there's a tremendous number of volunteers who are individuals who don't attend on Sunday. And so they're not a part of our family on a weekend basis, and yet they love being a part of this event. One of my favorite stories was uh, this past Thursday, my wife came to drop off the gifts that we were giving. And if you've never been a part of it. It's amazing. They have these runners that take that come out and help you get the gifts out of your car and then help you figure out, okay, where they need to go and make sure everything is aligned. And it, it's, it's, it is a process. And it's amazing how they do it. But one of these greeters came out to help Anna. And so they're helping her carry the boxes in. And as they're on the way in, he says to her, he says, hey, I don't know if you've ever seen this space before. It's great. I'd love to be able to show you around. And she said, I haven't. I'd love to see it. And it's just kind of how Anna does things. But, that, but it, was, it was so cool to be able to see someone that was so excited about what God was doing in the space, even though he, he doesn't, he's obviously not here necessarily on weekends because she runs our first impressions, for those of you who don't know. So, um, so as, as we move through the week, it's just a huge celebration. And, and the thing I love most about that when you look at that story and you see those individuals serving in that way, is, is it's just another opportunity for us to introduce people to the reality of Christmas. And like I look at moments like that and just and events like that, it's another opportunity for us to, to help people take one more step towards realizing the reality of Christmas. And, and this reality that we talked about last week, that well, Matthew 1.23 says this, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which means God with us. To introduce people to this reality that God wants to be with you. And he wants for you to be with him. And I think, I think sometimes we think about this a little bit wrong because I'll talk, I'll talk to people about sharing the message of Jesus with their neighbors or coworkers. And, and oftentimes they'll say to me, they'll say, well, they're not really interested in religion, which is true. They're not. And hopefully neither are you. And if, you, if that's what you came here for, you came to the wrong place because Jesus really wasn't all that interested in that either. And then they'll say, well, they're not really interested in the God thing. But that's not... I hope you understand it. That's not because they've said no to who he actually is. It's because they've been told a lie. about him. And as Jesus steps into our story, not only does he say, listen, I want to be with you, and I I want for you to be with me. But he says, then I want you to go tell, go tell them. who I actually am. Go tell them the reality of Christmas. But I decided, no, no, I want them to be with me. And even as, we've, even as we've moved through this week, I've been overwhelmed by this. And this has been an interesting week for me because I was in bed for most of it. I was very sick. I, I was very sick. So if I'm not my usual energetic and hilarious self, <laughs> you know why. And, but one of the things that I, I love is I love Christmas trees. Any of you, how many of you love Christmas trees? I know my friend in the front does because he gets the biggest Christmas tree I've ever seen. I think last year it was like 15 feet. It bent when it hit the ceiling because it wasn't. And, but I love, I love Christmas trees. I love, I love to be able to sit in front of them late at night. and I love falling asleep in front of the tree on the couch. It's like one of my favorite things. It always has been. And uh, our boys actually have a little Christmas tree in their room because I want them to experience that too. I just don't want them in my living room. So they can fall asleep in front of the tree in their room. And, but this week I was sitting there and I was just staring at the tree and thinking about this phenomenal mission, like this moment where God says, go. 
I don't, I don't know if you know this or not. There's this place in, in the New Testament where Paul's writing to the church, and he says something really intriguing. I think it's to the church at Corinth. You would think by the third service that I would have looked up the exact reference, but I, I didn't. And, but he's talking about the launch of the mission. And maybe you've experienced it before. You've been on this journey for a while. But when you go to the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures and it talks about the Messiah coming, it talks about the fact that it's going to happen. But it's a little vague as far as how it's going to happen. And it's like, it's. Now, the interesting thing is that when Paul writes to the church, he says that was intentional so that the enemy wouldn't know how it was coming. He specifically says that was intentional so that the forces of evil that were opposed to it would not know how it was coming. And I know sometimes you start talking about evil and the enemy, and some of you are like, I don't know. But, but one of the things you do know is you know that there's a reality of good and evil. If you don't think so, just go home and turn on the news. You may not believe there's a force behind that, but Scripture says there is. And then you come to this moment where I was just contemplating that this week, this moment where God says, go. And think about if you're the enemy. All the different ways you expected it to come. All the different ways you thought it would play out. And then he comes as a baby. And he launches this invasion. To get you. To get you. My hope is that over the next few weeks that you would be overwhelmed by that. More and more. And that you wouldn't just know it, but you would experience it. And what I mean by that is this. We talked about this a little bit last week, too. We, we talked about the reality that Christmas isn't about presence in terms of gifts, but that Christmas is about presence, being present, and this reality that God launches this mission so that you could be present with him and that he could be present with you. And my goal is for us to be more and more overwhelmed by that, but then also for, for that to actually be our reality. And what Jesus did, don't, don't miss this, what Jesus did made it possible for God to always be present to you. 
And it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. Jesus, not only, does, not only does he come in this way, but then he gives his life on the cross to pay for all of our sin and brokenness and, and literally takes away anything that would stand between us and the Father. And then he says, no, no, now you can step into this relationship. And there's nothing, there's nothing that would keep you from it. And so the reality is, is that God is present to you. Jesus made that possible. If you accept what his son's done for you, God is present to you. The question, the question is, are you present to him? Let me ask you this. What is it that God wants most from you? what the mission was all about. Your presence. For you to be present to him. How's that going? There, there are a lot of things that keep us from being present. One of them is guilt. We're going to talk a lot about that as we move through the next few weeks. Another one is busyness. But fortunately, we don't really struggle with that in this part of the country. It's a slower pace of life. Not like Alabama. You know, there's, there's nothing the enemy wants less than for you to be present to him. And, and he's constantly working in our lives to destroy that. He's, he's constantly working to, to keep us from it. And so as we move through this series, I want for us to be overwhelmed by just this reality, the amazing love of God that he would want. He would go to such great lengths for us to be with him. And, and then for us to look at, okay, well, let me examine my life. What are the things that are keeping me from being present? And specifically to look in three areas, because there's three things that the enemy consistently uses to destroy God's presence, or not to destroy it, because it's always available, but to keep us from God's presence in our, in our lives. These aren't new things. As a matter of fact, he's been doing this from the beginning of the story. And these things are actually what caused us to first step out of God's presence. Let, let me take you to the moment where you first see them show up. It's a conversation that the enemy is having with Eve. And there's three things that he approaches her with that eventually cause her to no longer be present to God. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from 
all the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You'll not surely die, the servant said to the woman. And so the enemy comes back. He's trying to get her focused on the physical and not the spiritual. And we've talked about this before. Whenever the scripture's talking about dying, it's almost always spiritual that it's talking about. It's not talking about physical, but he's trying to get her focused on the physical. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this is one of the first three that he brings to her. You'll be like God. And he begins to talk to her about her position. He begins to speak to her pride. He said, when the women saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and this is the second one because he draws her attention <laughs> And another translation talks about how it tastes, how she longed for what it, to taste it. It says, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And so then there's this third one, this idea of, this idea of having something, of possession. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And all of a sudden, they step out of relationship with the Father. But it starts with these three things. Now, as you move through this story, there, it's kind of subtle to be able to see how he's doing this. But when you, come to, when you come to 1 John chapter 2, it actually calls them out very specifically. So the, the way that it says it is this. I'm going to read you the NIV version, and then they're going to bring the other one up here. They're going to bring another version up here because I think it's a little more specific. It says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has, of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. So jump back to the beginning of that passage really quickly because I want you to walk, want to be able to walk through this with you. It says, For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Now, I love this because John calls these three out. And he, and he calls out the three things that from the beginning of the story, you go back to the garden, you're going to see them. From the beginning of the story, the enemy has been using to keep us from the presence of God. Listen to me very carefully. Every temptation you will ever face is based on one lie. God's holding out on you. Every temptation is based on that one lie. God's holding out on you. But then that falls into three categories. John is calling out those categories. You see him again in the garden. He, and so he talks about these three. The first one is this, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. This is the idea of pleasure. So in the garden, you see it when she wants to taste. I want to feel. I want to feel something. The next one is this, the, this idea of the lust of the eyes. This, this is when he talks about gaining wisdom. I, I want to possess something. I want to have something. And then the last one is the pride of life. The pride of life is about position. Now you can be like God. Every temptation falls into one of these three categories. This is why, maybe you've read this passage in Hebrews before and have been confused by it. Hebrews 4 says this about Jesus. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And he's talking about our high priest Jesus, in other words, the one who is fighting for us, who's with the Father, who advocates for us. And he says, He's been tempted in every way that we have. Well, 
Does that mean he's faced every single temptation that we'll ever face? That's a lot. It doesn't seem possible because there's a lot of us and there's a lot of situations and a lot of circumstances. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about these three things. That's why he says in every way. Because every temptation comes down to one of these three things. And and even when you look at Jesus being led into the wilderness, and when he's tempted by the enemy, he's tempted three times. Can you guess in which three ways? It's consistent over and over and over again. As you move through the story. These are the things that the enemy uses to keep you from the presence of God. And so what I want to, what I want to do as we move through this together is, is I, want to, I want for us to look at it and say, wait, 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 how does that show up in my life? And is there some way in which that's actually being successful in keeping me from the mission of Christmas. Because I don't want for us to just know that God's available to us. I want for us to actually experience it. And so you look at the first way that Jesus was tempted, and it says this in Matthew chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, which is a long time, he was hungry. That's an understatement. He was very hungry. Would probably be a little better. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And you see the enemy come to him first with the lust of the flesh. Now, oftentimes we misunderstand this idea of the lust of the flesh because every time I say lust of the flesh, people think sex. It's, it's immediately where they go. They think sex, and they think, they think, oh, it's all about sex. No, no, no. This is way bigger than that. The lust of the flesh is way bigger than that. The lust of the flesh is the desire to feel. I want to feel a certain way. And so I'm pursuing a feeling. I want that taste. And in this moment, it calls out, okay, it's been 40 days. He's really hungry. And he comes to me and he says, hey, feel better. Feel better. Just turn these stones into bread. Feel better. And I have to imagine Jesus could make some pretty good bread. I was reading this week with my boys when he turns water into wine. They were, they were kind of overwhelmed by how much it is because it talks about barrels, multiple barrels of wine. They're like, that's a lot of wine. I was like, it's a big party, I think. <laughs> but if you read the story, what is it that, the, that they say after they taste the wine that he creates? They said, this is the best wine. I have to imagine he could make some pretty good bread. And the enemy comes to him and he says, feel better. 
And then Jesus responds. Jesus responds this way. It says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why? Turn these rocks into bread. No. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the Father. What is he, what is he saying? What is, he, what is he talking about? The temptation is this. Feel. Pursue the pleasure. And Jesus, Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Life's not found there. Life's found in my Father. Life's found in my Father. Now, you can misunderstand this a little bit, because, and I've heard it even taught this way. Some say, oh, you should just avoid pleasure. And there are Christians who are Buddhists. In other words, they just think you should eliminate all desire within yourself. You should not desire pleasure whatsoever. I don't think that was Jesus. As a matter of fact, when you come to the story of Jesus, it says this in Hebrews chapter 12 about Jesus. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It says he goes to the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. But he goes to the cross, and while he despises everything about the cross, he does so looking forward to what? To joy. The pleasure that's to come. The journey with God is not that you give up on the desire for joy. It's just that you trust the Father to take you there. And you don't try to find it yourself. And so in this moment, the enemy says, create it yourself. And Jesus says, nope. I'll trust him to lead me there. And he does so looking forward to the treasures that are to come, but he trusts the Father with when and where they'll come. And so even when he goes to the cross, he does so looking forward to the joy that's ahead. And this is kind of subtle in our lives. This is kind of subtle in our lives. And because here's the thing, there's nothing wrong with bread, right? How many of you like bread? Nothing wrong with bread. I have celiac, it can kill me. But (laughs) usually nothing wrong with bread. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is the line that has been, it's just been sticking with me for a couple of weeks now. Listen to me very carefully. Behind every treasure, there's a tyrant.
Behind every treasure, there's a tyrant. And all of a sudden, something that was good becomes destructive. And all of a sudden, rather than you telling it what to do, it begins to tell you. And we all know what that's like. And so you take another pill or you drink a little more or you take another gummy or or you take out the ice cream. There's nothing wrong with ice cream until it becomes a tyrant. And here's the thing. You don't know how to manage that. And so Jesus isn't saying, oh, there's something wrong with the bread. He's just saying, no, no, no. The Father will bring the treasure into my life when it's appropriate. And so I'll trust him with that. I look forward to it. I look forward to those things that are to come. I look forward to them. But he decides when they come. I follow. I follow. Another way Jesus says it is this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added unto you. They'll come in the right place in the right time. In the right way. But the enemy, he wants, he wants to keep you from the treasure that the Father has in store and most significantly wants to keep you from the presence of your father. And so he says, pursue the pleasure. And it's not always that it becomes a a tyrant in our life because another way that it shows shows up in our life is And maybe this can be a tyrant as well, but it also shows up when you have that time that you've set aside to be able to spend with the Father, but then you want to, I don't want to get up. I want to feel. Or you begin to become reckless with your time and you're watching another junk show because that's all there is especially now. TVs are horrible, aren't they? You're like, I haven't watched a TV in a year. I only watch my phone. 
It, it's amazing to me. I'll, I'll have conversations with people, and I'll say that to them. I'll say, oh, you should get rid of your TV. They're like, absolutely. Absolutely. That thing's got to go. Got to go. It, Are you watching another junk show? Because I want to feel relaxed. And it keeps you from being present. I don't know what, I don't know what this looks like for you, but I know this. It's at work in your life. And if you don't pay attention to it, it will keep you from his presence. And if you don't pay attention to it, it will create tyrants. And you know what the tyrant wants more than anything else? Is to make sure you're not present And so then it begins to utilize guilt, and it tells you he doesn't want anything to do with you. And there's no way he wants you to be present to him. It's the best method of the tyrant, because there's only one who can overthrow the tyrant, and it's not you. So as long as he keeps the father at bay, he knows he's in charge. Because only the father can defeat the tyrant. But that means you have to trust God's grace. And so you have to decide to pursue his presence, even in the midst of your brokenness. I don't, I don't know what it looks like for you, but I know it's at work in all of our lives. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. Just bow your heads right where you are. I want, I want for you to ask. I want for you to ask God this question: God, where is this at work in me? Where am I pursuing pleasure? How I feel above you, and in the process, the process is keeping me from your presence, and the reality of what it is that you want to do and bring in my life. And maybe there's a tyrant that you need to hand over. Something you need to decide that you're going to walk away from for the next season or maybe for good. Maybe. Maybe you just allowed that. I want to feel to creep in and it's keeping you from what you know it is that God wants you to do and how, how he wants to utilize your time or your energy. Or, I don't know what the conversation is with you, but I encourage you to go and to talk with him about this today. Because we can't just know that he's available to us. Listen to me. He is present with you today.
be present to him. In Jesus' name.